there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hi, I'm Wendy Zuckerman, and you're listening to Science Versus from Gimlet. This is the show that pits facts against fugitives. Today on the show, the mysterious case of a dead man who lived under a stolen identity for decades and the controversial science that cracked the case. And by the way, in this episode, we will talk a little bit about suicide. So take care while you're listening. And there's resources and numbers to call in the show notes if you just want to talk to someone. Our story begins in the summer of 2002. A man has been found dead in a quiet, leafy suburb about half an hour outside of Cleveland, Ohio. It's right next to Lake Erie. It was July, and it was so hot that by the time they found his corpse, it wasn't pretty. It took a week to find the body, so he was literally covered with maggots. This is U.S. Marshal Peter Elliott. He sounds like the kind of guy who's never really out of uniform. Can you describe yourself for us? Uh, yeah, probably not. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel like doing that. But uh, I'm 56 years old, and I've been in law enforcement for 35 years. The man who had been found dead had killed himself in his bathroom. And from what police could tell, it seemed like he lived a pretty lonely life. He lived in this tiny, bare-bones apartment, didn't have much. And from the look of the scene... Here's how the cops thought it went down. He counted down the days on the calendar. He locked all the doors in his apartment, uh, you know, went into that bathroom and, uh, and put the gun underneath the roof of his mouth and shot himself. The man's name was Joseph Newton Chandler III. The cops searched through his finances and found a bank account with more than $80,000 in it. The cops looked for relatives to call, and Joseph had listed a sister on his rental agreement. She lived in Columbus, Ohio, he said. So, and I believe it was 1823 Center Street. Remember this address. It's important. 1823 Center Street. The thing is, though, when the police went there, there was no sister. Pete told us that the place didn't exist. And that was kind of weird. But then something happens that takes this case from kind of weird to incredibly suspicious. Because the dead man was known as Joseph Newton Chandler III. But when the cops looked into him, they found out that Joseph Newton Chandler III had already been dead for more than 50 years. Joseph had died in a car crash as a young boy. What goes through the mind of a cop when that happens? You know, we go after fugitives every single day. So usually when people have totally fictitious identities, they do that for a reason. You you just don't assume the identity, in my opinion, and through my 35 years of law enforcement, if you don't have a really good reason. Pete could smell a rat. And he needed to know two things. 
One, who was this mystery dead guy? And two, why did he live under a stolen identity for more than 20 years? Police didn't have a lot to go on. By the time they figured out how fishy this scene was, the body had already been cremated. So that meant the police had no DNA and no fingerprints. And then things got stranger. The cops worked out that this guy had lived a really weird life. He paid for everything in cash, didn't have credit cards, and when they went looking for friends to talk to, they couldn't really find anyone. The only people who seemed to know him were his workmates. He worked as an engineer. But what they had to say to the police made everything seem more suspicious. He had a suitcase packed and ready to go at all times. He used to tell his bosses and people he's working with that they're getting close and didn't say who they were, and then he'd disappear for periods of time. They just thought he was basically a little crazy. You know, they'd laugh about it. The evidence soon dried up. The case hit a dead end and went cold. No one could figure out who this paranoid guy really was and why he stole someone's identity. But then, a couple of years ago, Pete Elliott created a cold case unit and his team took another look at it. And they found something in his medical records that made them wonder even more, what is this guy about? Science Versus producer Rose Rimler and I talked to Pete about it. Wasn't there something about him going to the hospital with cuts on his penis? Yeah, that is correct. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't want to, but... uh, (laughs) 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 And... uh, And is there any way I could put you on hold for one second? Sorry about that. We got a double homicide suspect that I got my guys on right now, so. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, we will get you off this phone in just a second. That's all right. I got my guy. I have to call him real quick. They're on it right now, so I've got time. (laughs) Okay, okay, sure. Can you tell us about the weird penis stuff? (laughs) Oh, yes. Um, So, so 19, not a lot of medical records, but what we did find out from medical records was this. In 1989, he went into the hospital, and he had a lacerated penis. And he told the doctor that he had that um, from masturbating with a vacuum cleaner. With a vacuum cleaner? With a vacuum cleaner. And do you do you believe that? Or you know, could it have been something else? Are you going to make that up? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea on that one. I mean, if you're going to come up with a story, are you going to come up with, hey, I, I was masturbating with a vacuum cleaner? But that gives you a little bit about his mindset. Pete says it's hard to know what to make of this. But it was in the medical records that Pete and his team finally caught a break that didn't suck. They found this guy's DNA. Pete's team discovered that this man had been treated for cancer in hospital a couple of years before he died. And the hospital still had a tissue sample. Bingo. DNA. Pete's team rushed it through the national database for known criminals. And it came up with nothing. No matches. 
So what do you what do you do then in that situation? I mean, are you have you run out of options? You pray a lot. That's what you do. So that's the best best thing you can do. And just a few years ago, this probably would have been the end of it. If your DNA didn't match anything in the police database, it was basically useless. But this story we're telling you, it's one of the first cases that would try to use this new way of tracking people down, using DNA to hook into a huge network of people who are related to try to catch your mystery guy. To get this done, though, Pete would need a new breed of gumshoes, a real bunch of hard asses. I'm 71 years old. I've got short gray hair. I look like a grandmother. This is Margaret Press. She's an armchair sleuth who also writes mystery novels. She's basically a real-life Angela Lansbury from Murder, She Wrote. (laughs) I loved that program. In a former life, Margaret worked in software development, but she always had an interest in genealogy. And then in retirement, she got really good at it. So good that after a while... She wanted a new challenge. Finding yet another great-great-grandfather in Norway was interesting, but it wasn't solving a huge mystery. And so in her hunt for a huge mystery, Margaret became part of a growing network of amateur genealogists who have just started working with police to help them solve the unsolvable. They're volunteers and are literally doing this because they just love solving puzzles. I told you basically Jessica Fletcher. And when Pete Elliott heard all about this, he reached out to someone in that network who soon teamed up with Margaret. So, could this gang find out who the mystery guy was? Now, Margaret had actually already been thinking about how to solve cases like this. It came to her when she was reading a mystery novel about an unidentified body. I was sitting in a broken-down Sears Roebuck recliner in the living room, I can picture the moment because I turned the page finishing this book and put the book down and said, I can think of no way why this wouldn't work. Here's the idea. It has to do with those at-home DNA tests. So this holiday season, it's Ancestry DNA per tutti! These days, so many people have gotten their DNA tested from sites like 23andMe and Ancestry.com that it has created this massive web where you can find long-lost relatives. In fact, so many people have their DNA info online that even if you personally haven't gotten tested, there's a good chance that your distant cousin did, which means whatever DNA you share with your cousin is going to be out there. Now, for some, this is all a very creepy invasion of privacy. But for genealogists like Margaret, this is a potential goldmine. Now, she can't just log on to Ancestry and look you up. They have rules. But there is a place for hardcore genealogists where the rules are a a little bit different. It's called GEDmatch. GEDmatch is different from the others because you don't send them your spit for analysis. Rather, you upload the DNA results that you got from a site like Ancestry. And nerds like this place because it lets you do a bunch of stuff that sites like Ancestry won't. And I think it's amazing. Having that kind of knowledge is so important and so exciting For Margaret, one of the big things she could do on GEDmatch was use a dead man's DNA 
to find out who he was related to. And that was critical to solving the mystery of Joseph Newton Chandler. Enough people had uploaded to GEDmatch so that statistically you could do searches there and find biological cousins or parents or second cousins, third cousins, etc. So that the pieces were starting to come together, there was a perfect storm. Still, though, when Margaret and the team dove into this Joseph Newton Chandler case, this was pretty much uncharted waters. So Margaret was nervous. And using this technique to find out who this mysterious dead guy was, was really high stakes because of the DNA situation. He had such a tiny amount of DNA left, and we used it all. And that was a heavy responsibility for us to know that we were the last chance of Joseph Newton Chandler ever getting solved based on his DNA. They rejigged the teeny bit of DNA they had so that it would upload properly on GEDmatch. They crossed their fingers and they got some useful hits. A few distant cousins of the mystery guy. In this case, we were able to locate, you know, maybe a fourth cousin. And that's how we started to create the network. To build that network, Margaret has to take those few cousins to map out a family tree that eventually leads to the dead guy. And one of the first steps is to search for the first common relative connecting the fake Joseph to this distant cousin, someone like a great-great-grandparent. And after that, the team fills out the branches with more and more relatives, using literally anything they can get their hands on. They search online for obituaries, census records, newspaper articles, working their way down the tree to find someone who's the right age to be the mystery guy. And as you can imagine, things get really tricky really quickly. I think of it, I guess, as when you get a, a very complicated Lego project for Christmas and you open up the box and there's just thousands of pieces and you have to start putting them together. And ultimately, you piece together something that looks like a wing or a propeller or something. And eventually, they created a huge interconnected family tree linking more than 15,000 people and building back to generations that lived in the 16th century. After months of painstaking work, one night, they hit the jackpot. It's March 2018, the middle of the night, and one of the volunteers finds an important branch in this family tree. She finds the match, she puts it in the tree, it's looking good, she tells us to take a look at it, she takes an Ambien and goes to sleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> And so, so tell me what you were doing at this point. It's 1am. Right. Well, I had also taken an Ambien. <laughs> so I had to drag myself to Facebook where all the volunteers involved, you know, the few people who were still up were chattering away and working that. Here's where the group was up to. They'd finally put together enough of this family tree so that it was pointing to one couple as the potential mother and father of our mystery dead guy. And they had several children. And then when we started taking a close look at those children, they discovered that the fourth son, there was no death date for him. And that's when the little bells went off. Here's why the bells were going off. Three of the children were accounted for. It all died. And that left one kid 
who would have grown up to be the right age of the mystery dead guy. This guy looked like he was it. So, who is this mystery dead guy? And what was he hiding from? If you want to find out, you've got to listen to the full episode. Just head over to our main feed by searching for Science Versus in Spotify. That's Science VS. It's a very surprising ending. I'm Wendy Zuckerman. Back to you next time.